Let's go to 1 John, if you would please join me there. 1 John in chapter number 5. Actually, we'll start in chapter 1. How's that sound? Um, head towards chapter 5. <clears throat> 1 John chapter 1. It's thought to be fitting. Those of you that are guests, um, actually, it was about, it was a year, September. Uh, the first Wednesday night of September, we started 1 John. So obviously, we've had a lot of things in between there. But um, also, I, I've just thoroughly enjoyed studying about our Savior and uh, trying to honor Him just like those songs did just a moment ago, that it was who He is that makes a difference in our lives. And, and uh, all that was under attack in John's day, really just like it is in ours. And so I guess that's why, obviously, the Word of God is so relevant uh, to our lives. So let's look at it together. I'd like to read just the first four verses of chapter 1, and then we will turn to the last a few verses of chapter number five as we actually conclude this series. Now we'll go right into second John and third John, but I don't think we'll spend a year in those two. Not that I'm anticipating. So we'll, we'll look forward to getting into it. But uh, anyways, uh, hey, just because a, an epistle is short doesn't mean it doesn't have substance to it. It's powerful, powerful. So we'll get into that. Let's look at it now in chapter one and verse number one. It says, John writes, I mean, he just, he just comes right out with it. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Of course, he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ right there. For the life, notice this, please, in verse 2, for the life was manifested. The life was manifested. Now, he's still referring to Jesus, but he refers to him here as the life. If you'd notice the rest of verse 2, you'll see that he, he clearly does. It says, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, Declare we unto you that ye also may have what? Fellowship. That ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Come on now, what a fellowship right there. In fact, we uh, referred to the series because when we started this, we were in our, in our theme for the year... Um, love God's way. And certainly love is emphasized in First John. But I'll be honest with you here as we've come to the conclusion, I would probably call the series something different than love God's way, though that doesn't misrepresent it. It just, it, it, I would actually call it this, don't forsake the fellowship of the faithful. Because that's what they were in, the fellowship of the faithful. So he says, hey, we're in fellowship with the father and with his son. And then he says in verse number four, these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Okay, let's go to chapter five. Chapter five, if you would. And uh, last time we were together last Wednesday night, <clears throat> we covered verses 16 and 17, essentially, after talking about how that we're in him, we're in Christ, we have eternal life, then we can come to him in prayer and have confidence that whatever we ask in his will, he hears us. And then he takes that, that and he applies it to, well, when you have a brother that's in sin, what do you do? Well, pray for him. So you probably remember the subtitle better, better than you do the title. 
Get your face off Facebook and get on your face before God, something to that effect. Maybe you remember that and get off Facebook. That's what it was. Get off Facebook and get on your face before God. Uh, a brother in sin needs a brother in prayer. That's what we looked at. Really enjoyed studying that. So that was verse 16, 17. I'd like to begin reading now in verse number 18. Although we did cover in preaching verse 18 and 19, and so that will bring us to the final two verses of our study here, which would be verse 20 and 21. So let's look at verse 18 now. It says, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Isn't that true? We know, we know he's ending on a positive note, things he knows. Even in a world of uncertainty, you and I can be certain because of what we know in Christ. We know, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Now, that doesn't mean sinless perfection. We talked about that last Wednesday night. And, and uh, so that's, that's obviously not what he's saying because in chapter two, he says, if any man sins, so obviously he's cognizant of the fact that we're gonna sin even as believers, but it ought not characterize your life. Ought to be something different about your life. Again, verse 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know, watch verse 20, and we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. <laughs> this is the true God and eternal life. And then he ends on a rather rad, uh, odd note, but actually makes sense when you keep it in its context. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Amen. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. I'm calling it tonight just to wrap it all up in fellowship with the true God in fellowship with the true God. Don't forsake the faithful. Don't forsake the faithful to worship with those who bow before their own ideas. Don't forsake the faithful to worship with those who bow before their own ideas. In fellowship with the true God. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. We'll get right to it here tonight. <clears throat> As uh, John writes here, he's really endeavoring to do this, to fortify the faith of the second generation. Those that are the recipients of the letter, they weren't there like John was. They weren't there with Peter. They weren't there with, with Andrew and all the others. They, they just simply weren't there. They didn't hear him speak. They didn't see him with their eyes. They didn't touch him as we read. This reason I wanted to go back and read the first few verses of chapter number one. They didn't have that privilege that, that John did. And yet, listen, their faith, just like ours, can be just as strong as that first generation. You might wonder, can the faith of the second generation be as strong as the faith of the first generation? Most certainly it can be if it's built on the right foundation. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's what John is 
writing to, and they're certainly in a, in a crisis. Uh, I'm taking this church all the way back to uh, when we started here in, in 1 John chapter 1 to remind you, and, and really we've seen that week by week, and the last two verses are certainly no different than what we've considered, that the church was, and the churches in that area of Asia Minor, so Ephesus and others that are in that area, maybe this letter even got passed around because they were going through many of the same things, that, that they were in crisis, they were in a doctrinal crisis, a doctrinal crisis, and we'll maybe elaborate on that a little bit later, but basically there were those who were denying either the deity of Jesus Christ, that he wasn't 100% God, or on the other side of that, they were denying the humanity of Jesus, that he was not 100% man. But listen, friend, listen, he's got to be what he is, 100% God and 100% man. It's what the Bible teaches. So they were denying that. Corinthus is a, a gentleman that was, lived about that time. And, and he said something to the effect that he did not become the Christ uh, until his baptism. And then he ceased to be the Messiah. He ceased to be the Christ when he was on the cross or before he went to the cross. Well, there's one good word for that, heresy. It's not true, and, and John is battling that, but yet that's what some of them were saying as they left. They were denying and really doing this, taking away from who Jesus was. That's what they were doing. They were taking away from who he was. So there was a doctrinal crisis. Well, would you agree today that we in the United States of America, and certainly the world would apply to this, but even within churches across the land, and even independent fundamental Baptist churches, that we too are in a doctrinal crisis. Some of it's due to a lack of Bible knowledge. A lack of Bible knowledge. Uh, doctrine is being de-emphasized. I just had the new members class. We were there together and we we're talking about the doctrines that we hold to. We didn't get through all of them, but we just talked about how that we're living in a time when, when they, many do not endure sound doctrine. They want to have somebody that'll tell them what they want to hear rather than what the Word of God says. And so we're in a doctrinal crisis and some of the, the songs that are used are just watered down and doesn't have any substance to it. And then you, you couple that with a shallow message and, then you, and thus you have really a biblically illiterate society. Sorry. <clears throat> Spit that out in a little bit. They don't know their Bible. How's that? That's easier to say. I remember driving the bus uh, uh, for VBS, it had to be maybe two years ago, and we were just kind of waiting on some kids to get ready. Anybody ever been there before? Is they're trying to find shoes, and so, anyways, we we're outside waiting, and so I'm, I'm just trying to uh, keep a little bit of crowd control. So I'm asking questions, and in this form, you know, who was the first man that God created? And somebody raised their hand and said Adam, and who's the first woman? And they said Eve, and and. Uh, who, uh, who was the man that God used, you know, to part the Red Sea as he held up his rod, Moses? But they got stumped. I asked them, what is Sarah's husband's name? No answer. Some kid in the back raised his hand and I said, yes, sir. He said, Daryl? <laughs> no. It's not Daryl. <laughs> Close, right? <laughs> hey, that's a, that's a child. They're learning. They're learning. But it is true that so many don't know Bible. 
It's a doctrinal crisis. But then I think also this, we're seeing, you know, this is not anything new. I, this, is not, this is not any uh, new thing that come, has come on the scene. In fact, here's what tends to happen. History just repeats itself because we don't pay attention to what's going on. A lot of what I've seen even in my lifetime is really just a repetition of what I saw maybe 20 to 25 years ago as I was in Bible college. Things kind of trend that way. In fact, I just read an article from World Magazine that things trend left. It's just the nature of things. In our country, in terms of politics, things trend left. Um, for things to go from the left back to the right is rare. Whether that's in politics or whether that's in theology or whether that's in a church for a church that's becoming more liberal to come back to where it ought to be to be conservative, that's very rare that that happens. It can happen. Thank God it can happen. But the journalist that was writing that particular article, it's, he said it's one of those rare, uh, we would, I forget what he called it exactly, but, but he said it's really, you know, instead of the story where the, the dog bites the man, it's rather a story that the man bites the dog. You just don't see it very often. Things trend left. And so here, even in John's time, what is happening even theologically and doctrinally is that things were trending left away from what is true and what is right. And so uh, they were in a doctrinal crisis. You know, uh, here's what was going on then, and I see semblance to it even today. Uh, the new generation was wondering, should we follow the old teachers like John and Peter and others? Well, really, listen, church, there should be no conflict between what has been preached here at Southwest Baptist Church, for, uh, particularly what has been preached here is what ought to be preached here 50 years from now, should Jesus tarry his coming. In fact, I, if I start preaching something different than what has been preached there, somebody stand up and stop me. Somebody say, man, Brother Gaddis, you've lost your mind. And, and do something about it, please. Because really, there, while we are living in a different era and different stages of time, there's no difference, there's no change in Bible doctrine. Okay, so that should transcend, that should go to the next generation and thus it will be applicable. We're not here to try to be novel. We're not here to try to bring in new ideas. All we need to do is, press, is preach the old ideas in a very fresh way. That's it. So they were in a doctrinal crisis that led to this, a moral crisis. There are those that were, had a loose attitude towards sin. And oh my soul, aren't we seeing that today? that it doesn't really matter how you live. Oh, friend, listen, it does matter how you live before God. So John is dealing with this and he's trying to encourage them. Hey, listen, those that have left, those that have forsaken your church family and they're trying to draw you away, don't follow them. In fact, why in the world would you want to leave when what you've got is the truth? And so he's dealing uh, with this problem and he begins the letter with the solution. In fact, I love that. Before he ever gets to the problem, he go ahead and gives the answer. Don't you wish your teachers in school would have done that? I'm going to give you the answer and then we'll talk about the problem. Here's what he does. Hey, listen, Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh as God, is the solution. And that's why he starts out in chapter one like he did. But that's also why in chapter number five, he concludes like he does. After all that he has said, he comes right back to where he began to say this. Look at verse number 20 again. And we know, man, what, 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 um, what confidence. 
He did not say, I'm inclined to think. Man, I'm glad he didn't say that. I'm inclined to think, I'd rather gather that, no. Nothing like that. He said this, and we know, and we know, and, and we'll, we'll get to that, but his, this is his conviction, and we know. In fact, I like what Alexander McLaren said. He said, this whole soul conviction rings in his voice. This whole soul uh, conviction rings in his voice, and he is sure of his footing. A very different tone, he goes on, Mr. McLaren said a, a generation ago, a very different tone from that of many of us who are influenced by current present opinions. And feel, listen to this, he goes on to say, and feel as if what was wrought to our fathers has become quagmire to us. No, 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 friend, listen. What was wrought to our fathers is wrought to us as well, John says. And so uh, John here is saying, and we know this to be true. We know, and look, look what he says here. And, and by the way, verse 19, and we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in wickedness. I mean, really this just reminded me of 2 Timothy chapter three, where Paul wrote to Timothy and saying, listen, knowing the last days perilous times will come. It's gonna be dangerous, it's gonna be difficult, but you've got the Bible and so you're gonna be all right. Preach the word. So here he is saying, listen, John is saying to that church then, and it's echoing through the centuries to our church today, that yes, the whole world lies in wickedness, but here's what we know. We know that the Son of God has come. Wow. The Son of God is come. The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came. Hey, listen, if that's the only thing I had to preach to you tonight, that'd be enough to fill this message. He came. We were sinners and he came. Nothing, by the way, will change that fact. That he came. The whole world lies in wickedness, but the Son of Man, is the Son of God rather, is come. He is come. And look, look what it says in verse number 20. You say, man, how can you make a whole message out of just two verses? I'm wondering how we're going to get through all this and just... One message. It says this, and we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding. You see, what was going on back then is that there were those that were there, those secessionists, as sometimes we've referred to them, the ones that left, they acted as though they had a superior knowledge. John is saying, listen, um, we've got the knowledge that we need. And as they are proposing themselves as though they had some kind of a superior knowledge, John is saying, we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding, watch this now, this is a blessing, that we may know Him. The Son of God has come that we may know the Father. I want to say to you tonight, you cannot know the Father unless you know the Son. Jesus said to Thomas uh, and to the others as well, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so we know the Father through the Son. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man coming to the Father but by me. So it's through the Father that we know the Son. That's what John is saying right here. We know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is, what does it say next? True. We may know him that is true. Hang, hang on, wait a minute. I want to make sure that you're getting this. Do you understand? And, do, and I've tried to contemplate today that Jesus came, not that we might have a religion, 
Not that we would have a bunch of rules to live by, but he came that we might know God the Father, that we might have a fellowship, that we might have a relationship with him. We know that the Son of God has come and he hath given us an understanding that we may know him. Watch this. That is true. That is true. Okay, let me, let me go back to my notes here because this is too good to pass up in terms of the definition of the word true. Listen to this. We know him that is true. Now he's going to apply this to the Father and he's going to apply this to the Son. All right, now watch, listen to what it says. Hear this definition. True, Thayer says, in every respect corresponding to that which is signified by the name. Real. Genuine. Opposed, listen to this, because I'm not sure if that blessed you or not, this will. Opposed to that which is fictitious. Opposed to that which is fictitious. Opposed to that which is counterfeit. Opposed to that which is imaginary. Opposed to that which is, two more synonyms here, simulated. Opposed to that which is pretended. We know that the Son of God has come and He has given us an understanding of, of the one, the, the Father. He's given us an understanding of Him which is true. He's not a figment of your imagination. He's not pretentious. He's not a simulated God. He's the true and living God. Paul would write to the Thessalonians, you have forsaken the idols to serve the true and the living God the real God. All right, let's just keep plowing right here. We know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true. And watch this, we are in Him that is true. This is relationship. This is not just a theology. This is a relationship. We know Him that is true. We know the one that is real. We know the one that is, that is not fictitious or simulated. Okay, let me put it this way. We know the one that's not fake. We know the one that is not fake. So much in our society is fake today. Fake leather, fake gold, fake baseball cards. A fake. So much fake. John is saying, hey, you haven't believed what is fake. You have believed the one who is real. The one who is true. In fact, three times, this is interesting, this word, this adjective, true, is used like 27 times in the New Testament. But three times it's used right here in this one verse. We know him that is true. We are in him that is true. This is the true God. True, true, true. Are you listening to me here tonight? We are in the fellowship of the true, the real, the genuine, the authentic, the not pretentious. Okay, we are in him that is true. We are in him that is true. And I'm sorry, we are in him that is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. His son, Jesus, the Messiah. We are in him that is true. Then the last part of verse number 20 says this. He said, man, we might get out early if he keeps it this place. No, don't, don't count on that. But here, here we go. Okay, watch, watch it now. Look what he says. This is the true God in eternal life. Do you see that? This is the true God and eternal life. There's some question, okay, who's he referring to here? Is this referring to the Father or is this referring to the Son? Obviously, it applies to both because the Father is the true God. Can I get an amen right there? The Father supplies eternal life. Oh, yes, no doubt about that. But listen, friend, the closest antecedent, an antecedent in English 
is, is that, that noun that is corresponding to the pronoun. This one, that when it says there, this is the true God. This, that, that pronoun there, this, is referring to the, the closest antecedent to that would be this, Jesus Christ. You say, well, what's the significance of that? Well, read the rest of the verse. This is, this one, this is, he is, Jesus is, this is, watch this now, this is unequivocal, this is very clear, this is not ambiguous, this is not like I wonder who he is. No, John just flat out says, he is the true God. Wow, what a climax to a letter. It's like he's been waiting to write that down. Well, he wrote it down the first part of it anyways when he said the word and its life. And, and so even here he says, this is the true God and eternal life. You see, I think that also verifies that this is in reference to Jesus Christ and not just in reference to the Father, though certainly the Father has the eternal plan of salvation that is given. But in John chapter number one, we read it early in chapter one and verse number four, that this life was manifested, referring to Jesus. It's also in John chapter five, this is the record that he's given us what? eternal life. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Verse number 13, these things have I written unto you that, that you may know that you have eternal life and this life is in His Son. So all of this is working together. John is saying, listen, you believe right. Don't let anybody tell you anything differently. You believe the Son of God and He is God and He is eternal life and you are saved through Him. In fact, you don't just know about Him. You know Him and you are in Him that is true. True, true, true. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's quite a shift. No, not really. It's not. It's, it's not. it's not. It's not a shift at all. It's not like he's gone to talking about, like he's gone to talking about some stone or some idol, or some gold idol or wood. Well, certainly that would apply to their day and time, wouldn't it? That they shouldn't give themselves to idols. This is Ephesus. Great is the goddess of Diana, right? Acts chapter nineteen. I mean, sure. I mean, they had problems with idolatry. But I think, Brother Kyle, it'd be pretty weird for John just kind of slip that in at the very last verse. Remember in English when, you're, when you're, your English teacher said, now listen, when you're, writing a, when you're writing a paper, come on, this will help all the college students here tonight. When you're writing a paper, you don't include something new in the conclusion. In the conclusion, the last sentences that you say, you maybe rehearse what you've already said and you just drive home what you already said. John is not introducing something new here. It's not like he's saying, now listen, I know you might be tempted to bow down before Diana, but don't do that. No, I think what he's doing is a continuation and it is a sharp contrast because he said, listen, when we know that the Son of God has come and that we are in, and then that, I'm sorry, that, that, he, that he has given us, what does he say? Let's read it together, okay? <laughs> Said, you got to help me here. I'm trying to do my best, but you got to help me. We know the Son of God has come. I worked on this all day long to memorize it, and you think I would. I had it all day for the crickhead, but and we know the Son of God has come, and He hath given us in, in understanding. That's what I was trying to get to, that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. You believe what is true, you know who is true. This is the true God. So don't follow somebody that's presenting something less. Someone less. 
Something less, someone less, some kind of, wait a minute, some kind of a, could I, would I be on safe ground to say it this way? A God substitute? Don't, don't give in to some God substitute. Well, what is an idol? What is an idol? Well, an idol is a replica. A, an idol is a representation. An idol is an idea that somebody has about what they think God might be like. Okay, you remember when, when Nebuchadnezzar built that 90-foot-tall idol out there in the plains of Dura? And it's there on flat land, right? I mean, just flat. Like, like I remember Brother Kevin O'Brien telling me, you know, they're in Lubbock because if your dog runs away, you can see him run away for like three days. <laughs> there he goes. Still going. Huh? Flat land. Well, just imagine you come up on out there in that plain of Dura, this desert land, this flat land. You come up out there and there's this massive 90 foot tall statue that has a striking resemblance to none other than Nebuchadnezzar. Most likely. That's my speculation. I think he probably looked a lot like him. He just dreamed about a head of gold, which he was. Now he built an idol. He built it all of gold. But when God gave him the dream, it was gold and silver and brass and, and, uh, and iron and feet mingled with iron, mingled with clay. And I, an idol, what I'm really getting to is simply this. It's a representation of the figment of somebody's imagination. They think God is strong, so they build him like that. Some may think God is angry, so they make a grotesque-looking, ugly God. Been to India and seen all the gods and goddesses there in India and in Sri Lanka. Nasty-looking gods. Elephant head-looking God and ready to cut your head off kind of God. Mm -mm. John says this, um, now you be sure to keep yourself from idols. So again, I don't think he's talking about wood, stone, gold, etc. In the context, in fact, everything John has said has been on target. You might write your college paper and go somewhere else with it. But this is under inspiration. And John is on target here. And he's saying, listen, don't be swayed by those who say that Jesus wasn't really God or that he wasn't really man, or it became God or Christ at his baptism. No, listen, here's what that does. That takes who he is and brings him down from where he really belongs. And John is saying here, listen, you beware, you guard yourself. Don't you let anybody bring him down in your mind. He's the holy, 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 righteous God. And you worship him like that. You don't bow down to your ideas or anybody else's ideas for that matter. No, you worship him for who he really is. Why? Forsake the real for the fake. Why well, forsake what you have when it's genuine, authentic, not pretentious and all those other synonyms that we worked through a couple moments ago? Why would you forsake what is real for that which is the idea of man? John is saying, don't follow the likeness. Go with the real one. It makes some application. 
To say Jesus is a created being makes him less than who he is. And therefore, we refute the cults. Because he is not created. He is the creator. By him, all things were created. All things were created. Anything less than that is not who he is. To say that he's not virgin born makes him the son of a human. But he is, dear friend, the son of God. And therefore we uphold the doctrine of the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want anything to do with makes that anything or any doctrine or anyone that makes him anything less. And therefore, while we're in the mood of refuting, I refute Calvinism because it takes his blood atonement and it brings it down a notch. And it says, yes, it was efficacious for the elect, but he did not die for every man. What are you going to do with 2 Peter chapter number 1 or chapter number 2 verse 1 that says that they deny the Lord that bought them? Talking about false teachers. Well, evidently he paid a price for them. So we should not follow the ideas of any man or any book or any podcast or anything that would cause us to think, well, you know, I've got a little bit more intellectual knowledge than what you do. And I have studied Greek and Hebrew. (laughs) And I know the Hebrew alphabet and can run through it just like that. Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, Wow, Zion, Hate, Tate, Yod, Kaf, and on and on. Hey, they could go right through that and say, I know the Old Testament inside and out. I know that God has elected some to be saved and he's elected others not to be saved. He shed his blood for some in a limited atonement, but he's not shed his blood for all. Hey, listen, friend, that's not what this Bible teaches. He came and he tasted death for every man. So let's, uh, don't let somebody that seems to have some intellectual knowledge, some superior knowledge to you, that's written a bunch of books, that has a bunch of degrees, that can speak Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, and whatever other language he wants to try to speak. I'm telling you, friend, listen, God said that he died for all because all had sinned and Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost and all are lost. That means he came to die for you. Don't, tell, don't take away from his atonement. And then to say that he only, that he's, he only is going to save a, a certain group is taken away from the love of God. Don't make it any less. It's just making sense to you. John says, don't forsake the real for what is phony. Don't, don't, don't get buy into something that makes him less than what he is. This is making sense. Don't buy into an ideological system or a theological system that makes him less than who he is. I'm not, I'm not just trying to push amen buttons here right, friend, right now, friend, because we have alumni here. That's not my intent, church, not at all. I'm saying all this because we are in a doctrinal crisis across our nation and a moral crisis that's in our nation because the moment you start to go left theologically and philosophy and ministry-wise, you begin to go left on a lot of other areas and it has an impact on your life and the way that you look at life and the way that you look at church. And, and by the way, since we're at it thinking about church, I don't want to take away from what he said the church was. I don't want to take away from what he said baptism was and what he said the Lord's Supper was. I don't want to take it from where he has it. It is his. It's not ours to tamper with. Let's not bring it down. Let's rise up to what he said to do. 
since we're on a roll, this is his word. And I don't want to, I don't want to endorse any version that says, well, he didn't really, he didn't really forgive the woman in John eight. That's just like one of those stories that just kind of got put in there. It's in there because it's in there. Same thing for Mark chapter 16. Same thing for the baptism in Acts chapter number eight. Same thing for the blood that's in first in, in Colossians chapter one and verse number 14. Hey, listen, I don't want to endorse or go along with the Bible that it makes him less than what he is. Church members, preachers, young people, second generation. I'm preaching to you about things that a generation before me preached just like this. And it ought not be. There's a generation that comes along and says, well, you know, those things can be um, negotiated or compromised. No, friend, those are things that cannot be. They're non-negotiables. He said, well, I mean, I, you know, I'm just going to kind of get along with people. And, yeah, but you're getting along with people to the compromise of biblical doctrine. And John is saying, don't forsake the fellowship of the faithful when what you have is real. Don't go for something less. And this plays right out into life as well. Maybe some... 17-year-old right here right now that says, you know, man, there's other ways I'd spend my night on a Wednesday night. I got a homework preacher. Come on, get done. You're not going to do it anyways. (laughs) I hope you do. You should. Yeah, but I I got bigger dreams than just being in church on a Wednesday night. and Friday night, man... Creation Conference. I got sports. I got ball games. I got this. I got that. Wait, wait a minute. Um, I, I, in fact, one of my favorite definitions of, a, of an idol is anything you have to check with before you do God's will. An idol is anything. Now, in the context, I, I believe, I'm not departing from what I just preached to you. I think he's saying, listen, don't, don't believe what they're telling you about Jesus because that would be idolatry. It's their imagination rather than his word. But an idol also would be anything that you have to check with before you do God's will. Something less, less important than who he is and what he is. Well, you know, we might be here on Sunday night. We might not be. Kind of depends on who's playing. Um, you're checking with an idol. You're bowing down before an idol. That's less than what he is. Yeah, but preacher, look, I gotta, I gotta make money because I gotta make my, I gotta make my boat payment. I can't tithe. I used to tithe, but I can't tithe now because if I tithe now, they'd come repo my boat and motor. And tackle. My depth finder. My truck. Cause I, I, okay, look, 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 look. I had to be, get a bigger truck because I had a bigger boat. So I got to work more. And so I got to work on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights and 
They're asking me to come in on Sundays all day. Hey, listen, I realize there are people that do have to work. I totally get that. But wait a minute. I wonder if somebody's not just bowing down before an idol of pleasure and comfort and what you want to do or status. Because an idol is anything you've got to check with before you do the will of God. Well, I know what God has said about purity, but man, this is a different day and time entirely. And Brother Gaddis, I know you preach all Sunday night or emphasize, you know, that we ought to take it one step at a time, but man, that's outdated now. Hey, it's not outdated here. And, and don't, don't you get in your mind, or you listen to me, don't bow down to your ideas. Don't get in your mind, well, I'm going to make a relationship look like this, when God says, this is what a relationship is supposed to look like. I wonder if we could go a little bit further with this and just keep talking about the the way that a husband ought to love a wife, a way that a wife ought to be submissive to her husband, or a way that a child ought to be submissive to their parents and not rebellious. I wonder if we ought to, we ought to talk about other areas of life that would apply here because really what he said is top notch. And you're not going to make it any better. You, you, no, 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 wait a minute. Your, your materialism is not going to make your life better. Your sexual pleasure is not going to make your life better. Your intelligence and your, your, your academic pursuits are not going to make your life any better than what he can make your life best. Why settle for anything less when he is the greatest? Don't forsake the fellowship. Coming back to that 17, 18 year old thinking, as soon as I turn this age, I'm out of here. Where are you going? I just had to stop, Brother Brandon, a minute ago when everybody was singing and just think, wow. This is wonderful. Praising God in these hymns. And I'm with you, Brother David. I, I trust and pray that God's well pleased. That's what would be our desire. Or are you going to go on a Wednesday night or Sunday night that's going to do your soul any better than being right there in church with the faithful people? See Brother Jimmy up here singing like that and has for years and years. Amen. Same type music, same songs. He sang way back then when Noah's sons got in the youth group that he was teaching. And <laughs> Wait a minute, Brother Jimmy, that was too far, wasn't it? That didn't go back far back. I'm just simply saying, why would you want to forsake that kind of good godly music for something that's rocking out? that brings our Savior down from the holy God that He is. Let's just, stay, let's just stay with the fellowship of the faithful. Not because of us, but because of Him. Let's stand together here tonight. I appreciate the way you've listened. What, what a verse, what a two verses right here. My little children, He says, little children, Keep yourselves. This is a personal responsibility right here. Keep yourselves. You've got a personal responsibility to keep yourself in love with God. And not buy into this world system that's offering so much, but delivering on so little. Dear God in heaven, I thank you that through Jesus we get to know you who is true, genuine, authentic, God, very God, nothing less. God, we can get infatuated. 
with houses and land and cars and money and other things that could really be an idol in our hearts. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord, just to fellowship with you, to desire that fellowship with you. And I thank you for John who wrote this letter that we've studied week by week that so impacted our lives. God, thank you for helping us here. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.